I was just telling you, Alana JLo. Yes, Rick Hammond. I got out of the shower a few uh -huh. moments ago, and I feel a lot better than I did earlier this morning. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, partially, our night was a little bit strange. We had... Was it Domino's? Yes. I bought a couple sandwiches from Domino's, including dessert as well. Really good stuff. Yes. But I thought you would like it. As we were eating, mm -hmm. my phone starts to go off. Yes. I check. A very good friend texted me and let me know that yesterday, mm -hmm. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Mm-hmm. Which and then I saw that the other thing that I was getting was a notification from NPR, basically saying the same thing. Uh, so I was a little bit upset. Okay. Some would say it's the day democracy died. I don't know if I would go that far. I would. Even though go I that did text that to my friend the other night. I wouldn't go that far. I don't know. But I be. also said, I also said, because and 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 I wasn't trying to be insensitive. Please don't think that I was trying to be insensitive. You're not a Bader hater. Well. We don't have to go there right now. I, I'm uh, okay. So I don't. I don't know much about her. I just don't like her politics. But I will say that she was already out the door, and she was already she was already already failing in health by that time. And she is an older woman in her. She was an older woman in her eighties. Eighty-seven years old. And I thought, you know, well, I kind of expected that she was going to go, but I wasn't trying to be insensitive. If I ever came off across as came across as being insensitive, but also that, you know, if it were something really, really unexpected, like she just died, she just like dropped dead and she was in, for the most part, in really good health, then I could understand why you would be um, surprised. It's not so much that I was surprised. I was hoping that she'd last and least pass the election. Right. Because now there's some speculation about what's going to happen with the Supreme Court. And I know I'm on the side of more liberal, so yes. I would want somebody of her politics. But even if you're more conservative, that's a concern you because let's take it from your angle. Okay. Um, if Trump tries to appoint a justice to the Supreme Court now with all the upheaval that's going on, that could complicate his chances of getting reelected. And I it's going to cause a lot of chaos. Well, yeah, but just because she died, why? Because now there needs to be a replacement on the Supreme Court. Yes, but there, I mean, I kind of figured that it was time for her to go anyway. And I and I also uh, don't know who would replace her, but I'm sure that there is somebody that would replace her. Because as far as I know, I mean, she's been on the Supreme Court forever, it seems like. Since the 90s. Yeah, but that's a long time. I mean, even for her. I want to say 96. I could be off a little bit, though. Okay. But she... I don't know. I'm I'm not as concerned as you are, but I don't know that just because she died, he that would ruin his chances of re-election. I don't, I don't know that it would. If he tries to replace her right away, it, some would make the argument that it's too much of a distraction. But then you could also look at it like, well, after... Who is that? And Antonin Scalia died. Yes. We didn't have a replacement for over a year, so maybe it'll be a similar thing. It may be that. It may be that. I would argue that maybe it should be the same thing, but time will tell what happens. I'll give you a quick fact about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Okay. I said fact, and then I'm just thinking, I, I believe this <laughs> to be true. I'll give you a belief about her, okay. because I've read a few books about her life, and I don't want to go overboard, because this isn't the Ruth Bader Ginsburg program. Hour, or right. a program. Yes. <laughs> 
I believe in the 1950s, uh-huh. she graduated at the top of her class in Harvard. <clears throat> mm-hmm. There were 500 students in her graduating class, only nine women. Wow. She wasn't the top woman. I believe she was a top student. <clears throat> Wow, that's Which is a, really impressive. I, I guess that, you know, especially in the 50s, it's definitely impressive. Mm-hmm. Because in the 50s, um, I would imagine that I don't know uh, how many women were in college in the 50s. Not only that, but to go to Harvard. Right, right. There was a lot of uh, things uh, stacking up against women in the 50s. So, yeah, that, that is pretty impressive. I will say that. I think she had four children. Yeah. And from re- what I've read... Her late husband and Miss Ginsburg shared equal work in raising the kids, like preparing the food, doing the homework, that type of her, thing. Her late husband was, was um, shared equal work in that? Yes. Okay. Which is pretty cool when you think about it. Who was her late husband? I forgot his name. Something Ginsburg. Yes. Okay. Mr. Ginsburg. Mr. Ginsburg. Mr. G. Mr. G. As I used to call Mr. him. Mr. Gberg? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Mr. G. Mr. G? Yes, but rest in power, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> okay, now we can get off my... Thank you. We can get off your soapbox here. My woke soapbox. I love you. I love you too. But this is not the Ruth <laughs> Ginsburg owl. <laughs> I wish you will be missed. Mm. But, J-Lo. Yes. Yesterday, uh-huh. you learned more about this Alexander Roshenko kid. Yes, uh, yes, uh, Worf's son in, um, who actually started in uh, TNG, The Next Generation. We watched a few of those episodes yesterday. That was, they were very good picks, I will say. I will tell you this. I think that the second episode I showed you is a lot stronger. Absolutely. But I wanted to show you the episode where he first comes aboard the Enterprise and moves in with Worf. Yeah. Because it kind of sets things up. It definitely did, and I'm glad you did show me that, because I didn't know anything about Worf's son Alexander. I only heard about him. Do you want to describe that first episode real quick? Yes. So the first episode is when Alexander's mother comes to... I'm sorry. I'll take that back. Worf's Worf's mother. mother. Worf's adoptive mother, Mrs. Roshenko, seems like a really nice mother, um, is trying to explain why Alex can't live with them anymore, because they're old. They're older... People, they're going up in years. They can't handle a Klingon child because apparently Klingon children are really difficult than human children, which makes sense, I think. So, um, so Worf takes on the difficult task of trying to raise Alexander, and he's around six years old about? That was my impression. Okay. Alexander has been, uh, while he's living under Worf's care... He's been exhibiting some uh, patterns of lying where uh, he's on a field trip with his father and the rest of the kids and parents in um, Mrs. Kyle's class. Was it Mrs. Kyle? Miss Kyle? I think so. I could be wrong, but you know how I am. Miss Kyle's class. That's um, his, his teacher. human teacher. And um, he lied about stealing a model off of the table. And in fact, he did and stealing things from the kids and uh, acts like a bully towards the kids. And um, Miss Kyle is wondering what is going on with this child. I don't know what to do. And uh, and in the meantime, Worf is uh, doing some things, some uh, tests on the ship. Is that correct? 
Yeah, they're working on this new way to send ships into warp speed without actually using engines. Yeah. And so there's this big test that's going on, and that's kind of the B-plot. Right. And so he's busy with that, but he's also trying to raise a rambunctious six-year-old and is trying to figure out why why he is lying about things. And, um, and uh, they're... There comes, so fast forward, there's this culmination where um, they hit some kind of a wave. Could you explain the the wave? Basically, that has to do with the warp speed experiments. Yes. And they realize that the wave kind of went out of control. They have to stop it, so they go into the wave. It shakes the Enterprise, and they have to stop it from hitting this planet that has a lot of people on it. So... They come to the conclusion that their best bet will be to throw some photon torpedoes and explode the wave. The only problem with that, they know that some radiation is going to come back and hit the ship. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Alexander decides to create some mischief and he goes back into the observatory where they had the field trip and starts to uh, uh, do something with the, you know, steal a bunch of stuff from the um, observatory. And... While that is going on, um, Worf finds out where Alexander is. And this is one of the areas of the ship that's going to be hit very hard by the radiation. Right. And so uh, something happens. I forgot what, what was going on with the wave. And a fire breaks out and it happens to break out in the part of the ship where uh, Alexander is. So Worf and Commander Riker... Go down to save him. They only have three minutes to get the job done. And Alexander's under a bunch of debris. And Worf, being the man of honor that he is, and he is saves his son. Yes, he from does. Certain death. Yes, he's able to push all that debris off of him, and uh, he only they only have minor smoke inhalation. And so, uh, Worf and uh, it ends with Worf. <laughs> And um, and Alexander in sick bay, and Worf was thinking earlier in the episode to send Alexander to a Klingon school because he needed to learn about being a, a Klingon because he's half human and Klingon. But uh, he's a quarter human. I'm sorry, he's a quarter. Exclusive. Easy mistake, babe. Yeah. Keep going. Quarter human. And Klingon, half Klingon, or whatever. Anyway, so seventy-five percent. Seventy-five. Keep going, baby. You're doing great. Thank you. Okay, and so he talks to his son, and he realizes that you know sending him to Klingon school could work, but but he tells his son, if you really want to face a greater challenge, you could stay with me, and I will teach you how to be a Klingon. And we know from DS9 that he kind of failed in that mission. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, according to our, our recent, um, one of our recent episodes. Worf is a great officer, excellent on the job, has that... saved many people and civilizations. When it comes to being a father, mm, not so much. Not so much. He could, he could take some cues from Captain Sisko. Yeah, he's a little bit distant. Yeah, he is. Character. But he's trying. I mean, you have to give him credit for that. 
I love in Sick Bay when Alexander's like, are you going to get in trouble? And he's like, no. And he's like, am I going to get in trouble? And he's like, yes. Yes. But we will talk about <laughs> we'll that talk another time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was great. <laughs> yeah. I, I like how Worf is so matter of fact. He's great. Yes. yes. Just the way that he, just his articulation, you know, just his, just his um, inflections of his voice is just so funny. But he's just so serious. There's an awesome scene <clears throat> in an episode we watched of DS9. It was the one where Worf agrees to become <coughs> Martok's second officer. <clears throat> yes. He's talking with Captain Sisko, and Worf is asked, why are you doing this for Martok? Mm-hmm. His reply was, I owe him a favor because when we were captured by the Jem'Hadar, I was forced to fight. And mm-hmm. what I did not tell you in my official report was, I was thinking of ending it, but he just does it so matter of fact. Like, you know. I was thinking of ending it. Yeah. What's even funny is when he's in his, his he's in his um, quarters and he's listening to Klingon opera. That's great. <laughs> he's singing with it. <laughs> oh man! Oh. Do yeah. you think? Yes. This episode. Of the next generation, which came out in I want to say 1992, yes, is saying something about single parents because around this time, <clears throat> our the divorce rate in the country was really going up. Oh, you yeah. had more single fathers than I think ever before, and single moms. Yeah, but this is this is an episode about a single father. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Do you think this is a reflection on that trend in society in a way? You mean the trend? I. I Reflecting on the trend of single fathers? Yes. I don't know that it is, but there's something to be said about people who grow up without fathers. And maybe it reflects on the trend of that, if that makes any sense. I would give you a little bit of pushback. I think in some ways their relationship in DS9 is more about that. Okay. Because when you see Alexander... We find out that Worf hasn't even tried to talk to him in five years. That's true. But, I mean, I was talking about the bigger picture here. Okay. I wasn't just talking about... One episode. One episode. Gotcha. I think that it's so important. And I, and maybe it's because I I really... Um, um, I, I grew up very family-oriented. But I think it's so important that... Um, you know, kids are. It seems as is that that kids are are the the more the kids that are more well adjusted to me seem like uh, the ones that actually have two parents in the home rather than kids growing up either without their father in the home or without a father period or without any kind of father figure period and how um, how important that is and how how sad it is to see that especially boys are growing up without dads. That's a very common thing these days, JLo. And that um, I've been hearing a lot that the the same sex parent is so much more influential than the other parent to a boy, a father to a boy, and a mother to a girl. I could see that because it's like having an advocate in your own house because right. they can relate kind of to what you're going through. Yes, and I know someone who unfortunately lost his... He was the youngest... I won't mention his name. He was the youngest of... I think it was seven kids. And he lost his father when he was very, very young. So he doesn't remember his father. And he grew up with a second... He grew up with um, 
with sisters and uh, I believe a couple brothers. And his mother was a single mother, mother and trying to balance everything out. But he had father figures in his life that took the place of his, his real father. How important that is to a, a boy growing up. Um, how he was able to learn about tools and um, technology and how to nurture and things like that. Well, the technology, I guess he may have picked up, you know, by himself or whatever it is, but how he was able to learn that it, uh, you know, he was, he, he basically was a, a, is, was and is a go-getter. So whether or not he learned that from, from his father figures or whether he just picked it up and said, I'm going to learn this. There's that always thing that people debate about nature versus nurture. And it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to tell, but... It's hard to tell. I think it may be a combination of both. Well, it is, but people try to argue which one is more important. Yeah. Right. And that's a story for another time, or I, debate. I think it's. I think both are very important. Right. But it's which one is the dominant thing. But I don't know which one is more important. It, it may... I, I guess I may be leaning on the side of nurture, I guess. Okay. Because a person who isn't nurtured mm-hmm. is... Uh, for sure is not as well off of as a person that was, I don't believe. Have you ever seen the movie Antoine Fisher? No, but I heard about it, and, and the Antoine Fisher, I believe, is still alive. Yes, he is. I, I, I believe he is. Yes, he is. I the, heard an interview with him. The yes. movie is good, and it's a little piece of trivia. It is very heavy, though. Denzel Washington directed it. He also yeah. plays a counselor in the movie. Yes. But I read the book, mm-hmm. and I think it might be called Finding Antoine. Mm-hmm. I, I read it like over 15 years ago, so this was a while back. I heard the movie was heavy, though. And so was the book. Yeah. But one of the things that they, they talk about the book, but they really don't go into in the movie, he talks about his foster family. Mm-hmm. And his foster mother, according to him, was this like evil woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had a brother named Dwight, Mm -hmm. the foster brother, who he said was super, super intelligent. And he said that Dwight could have gone on to be a senator or a scientist. He was that bright. He could do almost anything you put in front of him. Mm -hmm. The one thing he was deficient in was love. Mm. And he said that he didn't get it in that household. And had Dwight received love, he would have done some phenomenal things. Yes. So it made him more sensitive. Yes. Love and encouragement. Right. But yes. it made Antoine more sensitive to the need of love in somebody's life. Right. And 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 I also heard what was really disturbing, because I did hear an interview with him. I can't remember what where he was on, what show he was on, but he said that he was both he was abused by both a man and a woman at one time. Mm-hmm. Either a man or a woman. I think it was, um, I think they were both in his family, in his families or. I think they were in the foster. The foster community, community yeah. His foster family. And I think it, I think it happened, um, it happened twice. That's how we remember it. As far as I know, yes. And that's what's shown in the movie too. Wow, okay, yeah. But I think in the film they only show him being molested by an older foster sister, if I remember correctly. And again, I've seen this years ago. So same with the right. book. I read it so right. long ago. Right, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Alana. Yes. Let's talk about the second episode of TNG. I think First we should. Born. Yes. Go ahead. Um, Unless I didn't... you want me to. Well, why don't you give some back a backstory and I'll continue. Okay. It starts off. Worf is rehearsing the speech that he's going to give to Alexander. Because Alexander is reaching the age of ascension, where he's going to become a warrior. You have to declare your desire in the Klingon community to go the warrior's path by the age of 13. Mm -hmm. And since it's only been two years since Alexander joined the station and he was six at the time, we got to assume that he entered some sort of time warp. I'll let you figure that out by yourself. (laughs) Yeah. In any event... (laughs) Alexander comes home from school late. He's being chased by one of his friends who throws like a balloon filled with something that hits Worf. I didn't mean to hit you. (laughs) Worf Worf ignores it because he knows that the conversation they're about to have is so pivotal to Mm -hmm. Alexander's life. Mm -hmm. Alexander runs off saying that he doesn't want to become a warrior. Right. We go to the theme song and come back. The senior staff is having a meeting. Meaning gets out, Captain Picard, <clears throat> before the end of it, says he's going to go on some archaeological dig. Right. So he's going to be off for the rest of the show. But he pulls Worf aside after the meeting, and he says, "I, you know, you seem kind of upset. What's, what's happening? He tells Picard the story. Picard says, well, you guys should go to this base because they're having this Klingon ritual, and it's a celebration. Yep. Okay. They go off to the celebration. Things are going pretty well for old Worf and Alexander. Yes, and and Alexander is uh, watching this unfold. And then, uh, uh, what was that guy that challenges uh, somebody to to fight? Somebody, I forgot their name. And and they're singing and chanting. Yeah, it's basically a play that they're doing, but it's an interactive one. They encourage people to join in. And Alexander does, and does pretty well. Yes. Right. But fast forward, it's the end of the night. Alexander met some friends and he wants to hang out. Worf is a little bit annoyed, but I get the sense it's like when your parents take you out somewhere and you're, you, they just want you to go home with them. Right, right. But they're glad that you enjoyed yourself, right? Right. But Alana Jalo, Worf is ambushed. Worf is ambushed by a three, ca- Klingons. A three Klingons and... Somebody goes, somebody, uh, inter, inter, uh, some intervenes, intervenes, excuse me. Yeah. I almost said intercedes, intervenes and it happens to be, uh, um, he's a Klingon too as well. His his name is Kim Tar. And he claims to know Kern. Yes. Who is Worf's younger brother. Right, right. Kim Tar goes to the Enterprise with them. They lay out the info and suspect that it's the, the uh, Klingon chicks, the, the Dura sisters. The Dura sisters, yes. Yeah, which you get the sense <clears> that they're <throat> kind of like, you know, known in the community. Maybe they're a little bit too promiscuous when they were younger. I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're just, uh, they're well known. Right. Yes. And they've been in other episodes, but. I think so. Regardless of that. And, and I know, and um, so I think there's something to note that. Every time uh, before Kim Tar would say goodnight, he would say, "Can I please say goodnight to, to Alexander?" 
Right. And he's not a pedo or anything. No, he, no, 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 no. He, he just, actually... He just takes an interest in Alexander and tells him, you should go to the Klingon homeworld. You, you're... Family has a beautiful house. You have cousins, you have cousins there that yep. really want to know you, and you'd really benefit from a Klingon school. So, Kintar takes Alexander under his wing. They go to the holodeck. They run some simulations, and he's also pushing Worf of you gotta enroll Alexander in a Klingon academy so he can get the training he needs to become a proper warrior. Right. Okay. In this episode. We're also tracking down the Duras sisters. Yes. And we get a cameo yes. from Quark. Which was very, very interesting, actually. And I, I... I, Did you like that, by the way? I did. And, and I also have mixed feelings about when they do TV show crossovers. Yeah. However, in this case, how I thought that, it worked. Well, well, what my question was is that how did they know Quark, though? Because Quark was introduced... Officially until DS9. No, but this is after DS9 started. Oh, okay. This is like a year later. And you got to remember, there's some... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Tell me. DS9 didn't start until 1993. Yes. And this is the last season of Star Trek The Next Generation. And it went off the air in June of 94. Okay, so so two two Star Trek shows were... Um, one show is ending, another show is beginning. Is that what you're saying? Basically, yes. Okay, I see. Because I was going to ask you, well, how did Quark get on the show? <laughs> and you got to know, they've also been to DS9. Because O'Brien transferred over in yes. the emissary. We see there's this conflict between Picard and Commander Sisko. Oh, right. Oh, that's right. Yes. Which I love. Yes, that's right. Okay, yes. so they were really good about doing that crossover episode. It works for me. Yeah. Yes. Anyways, after the cameo with Quark where he says something about his brother, he gives he also gives Commander Riker some irrelevant information. Yeah. They go off. They find the Duras sisters. And by now, Kintar has pushed Alexander a little bit too hard. Yes. So he doesn't want to talk to him. Yep. Duras sisters come on board. They show a blade that they took from the crime scene Mm -hmm. that has the crest of their house. Yep. They're looking at it, and they're noticing, oh, that's funny. This sign is for the next male male heir. Yep. And we don't have one, but I just found out the other day that I'm pregnant. Right, 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 right. So Worf knows that something's up. Yes. He goes goes to his quarters, and Kintar is about to kill Alexander. Yes. Until Worf intervenes. And then, J-Lo, do you want to... Oh, yes, this is a part Say where something. I was very, very surprised. So, Worf is about ready to attack Kintar for trying to kill his son. He, he, he is attacking him. I mean, he's attacking, yeah. You know what I meant. Go ahead. Jeez. His hand is on his throat. Okay, he's about, ready, he, he's, his, he's about ready to choke Kintar. And he says, no, father, don't, don't kill me. I'm, your, I, I'm butchering it. I am your son, Alexander. And I'm like, What? That was surprising. That was very surprising. So, shall I reveal? Do it. Okay. The reason why he said that is because Kintar is Alexander 40 years into the future. He came back from 40 years into the future because he wanted to change time so that Worf wouldn't die. Do you want to elaborate? 
No. <laughs> do you want people to find it out on their own? I want them to find it out, but that's as far as I'm going to go. Okay. Because I think I gave quite a bit away. Yes. With that. I love the way this ends. First with Kintar, well, Alexander, old Alexander, giving a hug to Worf and then going along his way. And then the next day in the holodeck, Alexander's waiting. Worf comes in and he says that thing. And and Alexander's like, well, we're going to battle. And he's like, there, there will be time for that later. And they just walk off. Well, I love the, the ending of this. Well, I remember when he goes, where's Kintar? And he's like, he had to go. He had to leave. Yes. But he says that he'll always but love he, you. He'll, he'll, he says that he'll always love you, yeah, or whatever he said. or Something to that effect. Something like, like he hopes, he wishes you well or something like that. I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> to me, this is a top ten episode of The Next Generation. It was very good. Yes. Yeah. When you said it was going to get deeper, I'm like, well, how deep could it get? And I, I was, you were right. Because you think that Kintar <clears throat> might be a villain. Yes. But you don't expect that turn at the very end. I had no idea that um, Kintar was what he was going to be. What he was. What he was actually. That really surprised me. What do you think this episode tells us about regrets, if anything? Well, um, I will say that I really like how they play with time. Um, what does it say about regrets? Um, I'm of the camp that feels that you can't go back and change time because any sudden change could ruin what really happens in the future. But that's that's how I see it. I just think that um, whatever's supposed to happen in your life... Um, in your in reality is supposed to happen in whether it's by choice or whether it's by circumstance you can make better choices but you can't change your past that's what i that's how i feel i'll tell you what i think this episode says because he actually does change the past yeah but he doesn't change himself right and i think that Worf. In, the, in a way, he's the outsider in this episode because he doesn't know the thing about Kim <clears throat> Yeah, He's not the young Alexander. Mm-hmm. Worf <clears throat> accepts Alexander for who he is. Yeah. And I think the message is you have to accept yourself for who you are despite True. any regrets you may have. Exactly. And, and I think you are, I would concur with that as well. Yes. Yeah. Very powerful stuff, J-Lo. It's very powerful. I realized the other day, <clears throat> I told you about the book, book I was reading on the restaurants, mm-hmm. but I didn't go into the other stuff I finished this week. Okay. As far as books go. Okay. There's this really interesting one on the life and death of Carol Lombard. Mm. I believe it's called Fireball. I think you, you kind of told me about, uh, you were reading something about Carol Lombard, but we didn't go into it. Here. Yeah. She was 33 years old when she died. Wow, so young. Married to Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. And they said that she really opened up his heart. He was this closed-off, reserved person. Mm-hmm. Then they met. And he became more <clears throat> accepting and, and more of a human in a way. Less, He didn't reject people as quickly. Right, right. Apparently, he had a daughter... That he never talked about. Like, I, th- I think the mom raised a daughter, but by the time he met Carol Lombard, his daughter was something like seven years old, and he never talked about it. Wow. And it's unclear whether even Carol knew that. Hmm. 
So it also tells a story that I thought was powerful. This lady gets injured. Mm -hmm. And I wish I remember the extent of it, but it was really, really bad. Carol Lombard writes her this letter saying, hey, keep going. You'll do something with your life. The lady gets better, ends up meeting Carol, who helps her out. And this lady ended up becoming a tennis teacher. Wow. She taught some influential people. I can't remember if it was Billie Jean King that she taught or somebody Really? But she had this long career as a tennis teacher that lasted until like the late 1970s. Oh, and and she was one of the people... And and, and And she she, was somebody who Carol Lombard Lombard helped. helped, well. And she said that Carol was very influential in her life. Wow. I thought that that was such a powerful statement about who Miss Lombard was. Yeah, and how, 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 how short her life was. 33. That's so short. She dies in a plane accident. Mm. And they say that Clark Gable mm-hmm. never got over her death. He owned this ranch. Mm-hmm. There was a room that kind of became a shrine to Carol Lombard. Oh, wow. Which was interesting to me wow. that she had such a powerful effect on him. I guess it makes sense because they were married. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like he, she was really his, uh, the love of his life. That's what everybody said. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Was he? Was she the only one that he married? No, he had several wives. I'm sure. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, he but but that Gable. one was that one was his that one was wife. his favorite wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Out of all the wives I've ever had, she was my favorite. Of all the wives I've married before, no. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they should make a parody of uh, "To All the Girls I've Loved Before," which is a great song. Yes. Yes. Uh, I had this other book. About Laurel Canyon uh-huh. from the 1964 until the late 80s. Mm. And that's a little bit misleading because it mostly concentrated from the 60s until 1980. Mm-hmm. And it was a good book. It wasn't great, but there was some interesting stuff. A couple takeaways. There was this house that Joni Mitchell bought mm-hmm. in the late 60s. And she basically owned it for... I think 40-something years. Mm-hmm. And something like 26 of those years, he had one tenant who was a famous musician, but the name is escaping me. They okay. interviewed him for this book. He told these stories about how the, the house was just immune to certain things. Really? Like there was these wildfires in Laurel Canyon, and everybody else's house on the block got burned down except this house. Wow. There was one time there was this tree that fell and was supposed to hit the roof of the house, but for some reason it fell backwards Whoa. into their neighbor's yard. Wow. Just like weird stuff like that. Wow. That struck me as interesting. Huh. There was this other story of this lady who was good friends with um, <clears throat> Crosby, Stills, and Nash, mm-hmm. and they come up a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. So he was also a babysitter. Okay. She was like 21, and she watched two kids regularly. One was six, one was eight. Uh-huh. The mom died, mm. and much like Worf, the dad was considering giving the kids away. Oh. She decides to have them move in with her. Mm-hmm. They can't afford to live in Laura Canyon. Mm-hmm. Eventually, she finds an apartment, but she said that... She had a lot of friends who came over and made a very special Christmas for the kids. They left tons of presents, including a guitar for the eight-year-old girl. Wow. I thought that was really cool. That is cool. Yeah. 
So those are some of the takeaways from that. So he, she kind of became their guardian then. She did. And she said that there was no paperwork that was signed. She just wow. talked to the dad and took the kids. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So he gave up his parental rights, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Wow. This was like like six. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Oh, that sounds like a really cool book. It was good. But then I read this powerful book called Old in Art School. Hmm. Really good book. The author uh, wrote this book called The History of White People. She's a, she's a black scholar. Okay. And so I'm going to tell you why that plays into this book. Yeah, I'd like to know. It right. doesn't sound like a good title. But okay. It, yeah. Because the book is, it, it's a separate book. Okay. But... When she's in art school, mm-hmm. the history of white people comes out and gets a review in the New York Times. Uh-huh. And so she tells a story about how thrilled she is. Her book is on the New York Times. Mm-hmm. One of her teachers comes up to her and congratulates her. They're walking to celebrate, and another one of her art teachers stops her and criticizes one of her works. Oh, wow. Okay. So it shows you the, the duality of her life. Yeah. She's a celebrated author, mm-hmm. but she's in art school and she's having issues. Right, okay. She was 64 when she decided to go to art school. Wow. Accomplice lady. Wow. Former professor. <clears throat> all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But she really wanted to become good at art. Yeah. And it was fascinating hearing her journey. Her parents were still alive when it started. Mm-hmm. Her mom had... <coughs> written a memoir I think of her life when her mom was in her <coughs> like 80s I think mm-hmm. through the course of the book her mom dies <clears throat> her dad ends up dying too but he dies much later than, than the mom did uh-huh. and it's about her journey what is, <clears throat> what is it like going back to school in, her, in your 60s wow yeah especially when you've already done so much yeah because a lot of times when people go back to school they're either in their 20s or 30s right correct uh, for the most part, and sometimes over forty year olds will go, but that's not all the time. But but to go back in your sixties, and she also talks about how she's not going to be a struggling artist because she already has money. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not going to be living out on on the street. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But she has who she has, and she's come to accept it. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. What do you think of that, babe? Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like you know. I've 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 been to school with uh, women and men that have um, wanted to study music later in life, like whether they were singers or instrumentalists or some things like that. But just you know, wanting to start school all over again at that age is um, it's impressive. I think at if all, you can do it, you can do it. Right to me, it, it speaks to something about how we treat age in our society. Right. Because we oftentimes think of somebody in their mid to late 60s, if they're past their prime, what else are they going to contribute to their community? Yeah, and, and a lot of emphasis is on youthful people from the age of 18 to maybe around, I'm going to take a guesstimate, maybe 45 or later. Um, and it's, or I'm sorry. Maybe not 45, maybe younger than that. But, I mean, we, our, our emphasis is on youth, the youthful people, either the youth or youthful people that are, um, that are not quite up there yet. 
and what they can contribute to society. So I think it's kind of interesting. Yes, babes. Yes. All right. I want to get to the movies, but before we do that... Yes. We watched an interesting episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes. Okay. We watched two of them. I'm, I'm thinking of one in speci- specifically. Uh, can I guess which one that was? Tell me. Uh, the one where uh, Jazz meets his future wife. No. Or the one about the car. You got it. <laughs> Do you want to describe this one, babe? Yes. So this this episode features the late, great Robert Guillaume, who has been in several things, including Benson. He, he worked was... with Odo on that show. Oh, really? Odo was on that show. On on Benson? Yeah. What, what, who did he play? I forgot, but I know that he was on that show. Because it's been so long since I've seen Benson that I don't remember. Uh-oh. But keep going, babes. Um, he was also one of the voices on the the um, the Disney movie The Lion King. Um, he was very good at that. I preferred the honest king, but go ahead. The lion, L I O N. Because he was lion. Go ahead. L I O N. I'm just having so fun. Oh my goodness. Keep going. Oh my Keep going, babes. And um, he is. Uh, he takes so. He, um. I forgot how he uh, hooks up with Will. Um, Do you want me to give you the backstory? Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Cause... Okay. Carlton is a bit of a nerd. Yes. Well, he is. Right. They go down to buy a car, and he wants to buy the safest car out there. Will doesn't want to be seen around in that. He he, he tries to convince Uncle Phil to get the biggest, baddest, um, coolest car ever. Well, it's more than he tries to. He's successful at He's it. successful at it, you know. Gion says this and is like, Will, we could use somebody like you on staff, and I have a thousand dollars. I can't give it to you as commission, though, because you don't work for me. Right. But, but, but Will agrees to work for him, and Will is, um, Will even makes a lot of money in his first week there, actually. He's super successful right super off Super successful, yeah. And he uh, is talking to his boss about, you know, what it, what is going to be like if I get a, um, a check for working there full time. He's already making money already, but he's still a college student. Yeah, so he's basically working the weekends at this point. Yep. And so he decides on a whim, hey, uh, I want to make a living as a car salesman and I'm going to drop out of school. His to his uh, aunt and uncle's chagrin. Well, I have to give you some pushback. What? what uh... His aunt's chagrin, but I think Uncle Phil is actually kind of supportive, and he just doesn't want to say it. Actually, yes, is right. But you are going. correct. He's not all the way on board, but he's more on board than Aunt Viv. Right, and 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 his mother Vi. Yes. In fact, his mother Vi is just so upset at him. <laughs> She's so upset, but let me, I'm fast forwarding. I digress. Um, so he tells, he tells, um, his family that he wants to, you know, he wants to, uh, to make a living out of it. Well, uh, I, I love this scene where Ashley's like, oh, by the way, um, can you hook me up with a, <laughs> one of the cars in their lot? I didn't really care for that. Scene, you didn't like keep that? Going. It was okay. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, so he's, he's selling a bunch of cars and his mother shows up and she's, she's very upset. 
And she's like, you're the man who convinced my son to drop out of school. He was like, no, no, I didn't. I wasn't the one who convinced, I I wasn't the one who convinced him. And uh, that was toward the end of the episode, though. Okay. Yes. I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Yes. I think Vi and Aunt Viv are completely in the wrong in this one. You know what? I would agree. Oh, really? Okay. You know why I agree? Tell me. I'll tell you why I agree. Now, there are young people um, like myself at the time, when I was a little younger, that um, grew up with the notion that to be successful, you have to go to college. Now, for me, college, I wanted to go to college because I really wanted to study music, and I felt like that was a path that I wanted to be on. But I feel now as I'm growing older and I've been hearing about um, kids, you know, I've heard stories about kids being sent to college and really learning nothing um, that pertains to um, to anything that would amount in with the degree that with the degree that they get, it wouldn't really amount to a hill of beans because it wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be able to get jobs with that career. Um, and, and, and things that are pushing back against the college thing. And that it would be better if, uh, if a young person got an internship or an apprenticeship that would get them ready for, um, for work. Now, now, now keep in mind though, colleges and universities, uh, back even farther from when my mother and father were born, right? They were they were a lot different than they are now, I think. A lot of them were um, set up differently than the colleges and universities now. I, I think something also that people don't take into consideration, when everybody has a college degree, they're less valuable. So when your parents were going to school... Less people even had high school diplomas than they do now. So, right. So, uh, the market, the value of something goes down if, it, if the market is flooded with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, go ahead. But no, I I agree. I I do agree with you on that because with with the um with Aunt Vi and Aunt Viv in the wrong. Vi and Aunt Viv. Va- Vi and Aunt Viv, whatever. <laughs> man, oh man, oh man. Keep going, babes. Picky, picky, picky. Oh, oh. You know what I meant. Go. And Will's Uncle mom, Carlton. Uncle Carlton. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, Vi and Aunt Viv were very wrong. Um, and I grew up with the idea that education was important and you weren't successful if, number one, you didn't get a, get a high school diploma, and number two, that you didn't finish college. The reason why I went to college is that I felt that it was the right path for me, but it's not the right path for everybody. I felt that Uncle Phil's pushback mm-hmm. made a lot more sense mm-hmm. because he tells <laughs> Will, going to college is not just about getting a degree and having a great job. Absolutely. It's also about the people you meet and the experiences of, that lead to you finding who you are at that critical age. Right. So, and again, I, I rewrite things a lot in my own head. Mm-hmm. I think a better ending to this episode... And it would have made for a better show overall. Mm-hmm. Is if Aunt Viv would have come to her senses along with Vi, mm-hmm. you know, when she's not trying to get together and with <laughs> oh. Lisa's father. <laughs> yeah. 
if they were to come to a consensus with Will and said, okay, we disagree with your decision, we respect who you are, so why don't we have it to where you take three months of your life to sell cars? Right. If you do that and you're successful, then we'll talk about you going back to school to maybe get like a business degree that'll right. help you later on in case you ever want to start your own dealership. Right. That to me would have been a much better solution than right. just yanking Will by Yes, his ears. exactly. Yes. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree because there are some people that are, that really um, are successful in college and that was what they, um, decided to do, um, as far as, uh, preparing themselves for the, the workforce. But, you know, just because somebody isn't college educated, doesn't make them, um, doesn't make them less, any, any less valuable to the workforce. In fact, um, I've been hearing a lot about people, um, getting apprenticeships and, um, and, or starting their own businesses instead of going to college and they've become even more successful than their college age counterparts. Now, um, having said that, I don't regret going to college. I thought that I had a very good education when I went to college, once I got uh, to university, but that was me. Right. But anyone who decides that they don't want to go to college, I would support them because that's, that's their path. I think that this episode speaks to the laziness of nineties television. Or the homogeny, maybe. Because we can't allow the character of Will to deviate too much from the norm. Because it's 90s television. Uh And the theory was back then that you had to keep characters pretty much the same throughout a series. Uh That's Uh why I think television today is much better. Because Uh you can have characters grow in unusual ways. That's not to say that Will didn't change at all throughout the series. He did. But the basic idea, kid goes to Bel Air, changes a little bit, changes the people around him, but stays on the path, gets a good education, and does what everybody's expected, expects him to do, is still done on the show. Yeah. Without very much variation. Right. But I would like to see a show where... Um, or maybe not a show, rather. Um, you know, I I would like to. You know, if there was a if there was a um, a topic of discussion of college versus working or or whatever it is before they go to work. Um, I would. I think there. I think that people now are having discussions about well. Is college really for a young person? Yeah. I think you and I are are on the same page, but we're having two different discussions on that page. You're having more of the discussion about college versus work. And to me, I'm having a discussion about character development. Okay. Uh, But that's fine. No, I'm trying to kind of link them together, but I don't think I'm doing a very good job. Well, maybe you need a kiss and that'll help. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay. 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 Let's not go to let's no more funny business, bub. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm doing a very good job of linking these two subjects. Why don't we say this? 
Yeah. We can revisit that at a later date. Yes. And it'll give you time to crystallize your your thoughts on the subject. But I do agree with you on the on the um the Vianet Viv thing. I think they were very in, much in the wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. J Lo. Yes. Should we move on to the films? Yes, we should, because I have a lot to say about them. You decided to show me the 1980 film Fame. And before we get into the discussion about the actual movie, Uh let's talk about our experience watching it. We got through the first 37 minutes. Oh my goodness. And And then for some reason it paused in the middle. And I was able to restart it, so... yeah. You would have visually would change, but there was no audio. Yeah. I tried this a few different times, and then I decided instead of watching my copy, which I got through some interesting websites. Yes. We rented Fame, but of course the first one that came up was the 2009 version. And you didn't want that. I didn't want that either. So I had to re-rent it again, (laughs) find the right Fame from 1980. Yes. But now, tell me about the film, and then give me your thoughts on it. So, I heard about this film. The only reason why I heard about this film is through the show Fame, which was around from 1982 to 1987, and I only watched parts of the show. I only watched uh, some some episodes of the show, but I did not really know much about the movie, but I heard about it. And uh, singer Irene Cara, who was um, more prevalent in the 80s, was um, one of the stars in Fame. And I thought she was very good in the movie. But I wanted to see the movie because, number one, I didn't see it before and I heard it was good. I heard it was a classic. And so I decided to see it with, uh, with you uh, not knowing what to expect, really. I thought it was going to be a lighter movie. I, I was, thought it was. I was expecting a family film, to be honest, like a Disney esque type movie. But we were both very, very wrong. In fact, it was a very good movie. There was some. It was more heavier than we both expected, didn't we? Which I liked. I appreciated that. Uh, there were some heavy things that I didn't like about it because it was disturbing. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Yes. So the basic premise is about this. Um, Performing Arts High School, which it was just called the High School of the Performing Arts in New York, I believe. I believe it was in New York. And all these young kids, which some of them didn't seem very young. Some of them seemed older than... It would not surprise me if some of the actors were in their 30s. Yeah. Um, But all these people come from all over and they... I don't know if they were from different states. I'm guessing they were from New York or parts of New York. And they all audition and and each of them have to be uh, singers. They have to play an instrument. They have to act and they have to dance. So it has to, they have to be uh, triple threats or more than that. So I got the impression that they only had to be able to do one of those. No, I think they had to at least do... A couple of them, or three of three of them. Okay, I'm, I'm I probably have that wrong. Then. Uh, it, it definitely it definitely seemed pretty intense the um the process. Because the reason I get that feeling is if you remember on the first day of school they go through all the different classrooms and yes. the acting teacher is saying this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. The 
singing teacher says this is the hardest program in the school and then it goes to the dancing teacher who says this is going to be the hardest thing to make a living at right so that's why i got the impression that they were only specializing in one but the school carried all those different programs but then didn't you but remember when you had to um when i guess the kids were talking or a couple of kids were talking and say you have to sing dance and act to survive in the school or whatever it was. I guess I just don't remember that part. Okay. So I'll take your word for it. My impression was that you had to know, you had to know those three things to survive, to be able to get through the school and to be able to, um, to do your, um, and, and not only that, you had to be in the arts, but you also had to take all your other academic studies, which sounds really intense. Like you had to do science and English and, and, uh, and all that, and math, and things like that. So it sounded like a pretty intense situation. Well, then you kind of get to learn about some of the kids, like uh, Doris. Let's just let, let's take Doris for a minute. <laughs> Doris is this ordinary girl. She's like Jewish and Irish or whatever. Her name is Doris. You know, it's kind of like a middle-aged name, and she doesn't like it. Her voice is mundane. Her singing voice is terrible. Her acting isn't that great either. <laughs> she thinks she's so ordinary, and she really wants to. She really wants to to be noticed. It seems like is that am 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 I? Do you think that my assumptions are correct? Yes. Okay. And then she's got this friend named Montgomery McNeil, who also wants to be noticed. But I think he seems super smart, though. He seems like he's trying to figure out what's going on and is that the kid who's really good with the keyboard uh and his dad's a cab driver um i think so he no 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 no. that's um that's uh what's his name no that's uh what's that kid's name let me think well, let's talk about Montgomery first, and we'll get back to that kid. Uh, yeah. He's the one that was hanging out with um, Coco. No, I know that, but I, I wasn't sure if he was also friends with Doris. But apparently I have that wrong because I'm... Um, I don't think so. I think they were in another, in another group. Got it. Yeah. That's what I get gather. Doris, Montgomery, and... So Montgomery seems like a really smart kid, and he does... He's trying to perfect his monologue... You remember? Okay. Okay. I got you. Keep going. Yes. The other kid that you're thinking about, um, Bruno. That's his name. Bruno. He's kind of like, kind of flamboyant. And his dad's a cab driver. Yes. Yeah. And he he's into music, but he wants him to do something else with his life. But, I, I know the dad's supportive. Is it? Yeah, remember because at one point the he wants him to become a successful musician. Okay, okay. And Bruno thinks that he's going to be this obscure artist who's going to die alone. But then oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. But his dad wants him to do music. He just wants him to be successful. more like Elton John. Elton he brings, John, he, yeah. He specifically mentions him in one scene. Right, right. You're right. But and then he gets together. He he collaborates with Coco, and that changes. For him. Let's keep going, babes. But anyway, that, I digress. Uh, so Montgomery is this, is this kid that wants to perfect his monologue, and he becomes really good friends with um, Doris, who's this ordinary girl. 
Meanwhile, there's this crazy kid named um, Ralph Garcia. I think it's, his name is supposed to be Raul Garcia. But he kind of Americanizes it. He Americanizes it and calls himself Ralph Garcia, which I think he should have gone with Raul Garcia, but what do I know? Garcia is a big fan of Buffy's father-in-law, Freddie Prince. Well, late father-in-law. Yes. He, she's, he's not really her father-in-law because he died when Freddie Prince Jr. was a baby. Willow may have had some powers, but she couldn't change that. Willow? Okay. From Buffy the Vampire. You've never watched Buffy. I have a little bit, but I'm really not a Buffy fan. <sighs> I mean, it's, it's okay. It's not like the best thing in the world, but I know what you're talking about. Great show. Okay. But keep going. I yeah. digress. You digress. Anyway. Garcy loves Freddie Prince. Yes, he 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 wants to emulate he wants to emulate Freddie Prince Sr. and kind of takes on the role of understanding the painful the painful life of Freddie Freddie Prince Sr. because he dies at 22. He kills himself at 22, which is really really young, super young. But meanwhile, um Ralph Gar- Garcy is like this He's he's nuts. He's a nutso. He is, he he throws tantrums. He kind of he kind of comes off as this really really tough guy. And Doris just absolutely despises him, which is understandably so. But somehow they end up getting together. I have no idea how that happens, honestly. <laughs> I think they're just so different from each other. Would you say? Yes, they are. And so that's their little group. Coco wants to make Coco, who's played by Irene Cara. I get this idea that she wants to be successful. Um, she collaborates with Bruno, and I think they make uh, records together. They make music together, and she's she's uh, one of the people. She is, uh, actually uh, sings the theme song to Fame, and already um, Irene' character in real life is a big star in the music world. So I thought that was kind of cool. By uh, the time she made this movie, you mean? By the time she made this movie, yes. Gotcha. I believe she's already big. Um, and then I think he, there's this one guy named Martelli, I think, and he's like, he's kind of like a side character. You don't really see a lot of him, but he <laughs> doesn't know how to make his own music. He just uses a keyboard. Would you gather? Would you say that was right? <laughs> it was kind of funny. Yeah. And, um, and then you've got this really crazy guy who doesn't really, um, uh, do a lot of things. Um, his name is, are you thinking about Leon? Leroy Johnson. Leroy Johnson. I'm sorry. Yes. Who didn't even really audition for, for this. No, he, he went was there with a crazy friend of his. He, he went there with his friend, crazy Shirley, who, um, he was helping her audition, but he ended up getting into the school. We don't know how he gets into the school, but he does. Um, <laughs> she gets rejected, which is great. Yeah. And she throws a tantrum. A major, major tantrum. Yes. You never see her again. So, Leroy Johnson is this crazy kid that throws a lot of tantrums. He, um, his teacher is trying to get him to do something with his, his career as a student. But doesn't get anything out of him. He doesn't know how to write anything intelligible he comes off as somebody that doesn't know how to read, and in fact, he does not. Um, and she's just ready to give up because he's just not giving it his all. He's not, he's not 
proving to her that he wants he wants this for himself. He wants to better himself. And uh, and so anyway, I'm not going to go into that part where he's giving this. He's standing up to her, but yet. But uh, why don't you give your thoughts on other stuff in the movie? Please. Yeah. I, overall, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Lots of interesting characters. One thing I was thinking while starting to watch this film, though, mm-hmm. I went to a school out here called MLC, mm-hmm. Metropolitan Learning Center in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a school for special people. It does. And maybe I'm a little bit special myself, but they let me in nonetheless. <laughs> and it's it wasn't exactly like this high school, mm-hmm. although there was a... It was very artist-friendly, I'll say. Mm-hmm. MLC opened its doors in 1968. Mm-hmm. And it's technically K through 12, even though I went there from middle school through high school. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I was thinking about watching this film when it w- thinking that this film was released in 1980 was the kids who started at MLC in 1968 in first grade right. were graduating mm-hmm. from MLC at that time. <clears throat> yeah. And the kindergartners in 1968, if they stayed, were about to go into their last year there. Right. For some reason, that kept coming into my mind while watching this film. Well, and then I and myself, I was thinking, you know, how advanced would I be in my department in in college had I gone to a performing arts high school? And I thought about that because um, when I went to the blind school in Vancouver, Washington, I um, I was a part of something called this um, solo ensemble. It's where um, a bunch of students in the fine arts, uh, whether it's singing or playing an instrument, um, would uh, perform in front of adjudicators uh, and uh, compete for state. And I did not get state, but I did get an award in honor of a young uh, girl who was a flutist and uh, died of cancer. So I got the um, I got an award in her honor. So I I actually thought that was really cool, even if I didn't get state. But I digress, and I I thought that you know hey wouldn't I wonder what it would have been like in college for me had I gone to a performing arts high school and how how would it have prepared me for that? Are you? Am I what? Are you laughing? No. Okay. I thought maybe you were, um, but that's what I thought when I'm going into this movie. The characters were very, very interesting. Very eccentric, for the most part. I don't know if I could side with all of them. No. I'll give you some observations, and there's a lot in this movie, so it's it's hard to cover all of it. Yeah. But you can just what what you, what you can do is you can name the characters that really stuck out for you. Right, okay. and and some thoughts around them. Yes. Um. Garcy, I kind of related to. I felt like, because in, in school, I really wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And I would go, I, a couple of times, I went down to Saturday Market and tried doing stand-up comedy. And I really, really sucked. Mm-hmm. Partially because it's a different environment. You're out on the street corner doing it. Mm-hmm. And partially just because I didn't have the life experience. 
Right. Mm-hmm. But I looked up to stand-up comedians a lot in high school mm-hmm. and bought a lot of comedy albums. So, and, and was a weird kid. Mm-hmm. So I related to Garcy and probably Leon the most. Leroy. Leroy. I keep calling him Leon. I don't, I don't know. know. Really? You relate to Leroy? That's, that's, um, that's surprising. Why is that? Yes, because he's this weird guy who's not focused on reading. He's kind of disruptive. And one can make the argument that Leroy should have been kicked out of the school. He should have been kicked out the first, um, you know, he should have been kicked out in the first year. Why they never kicked him out, I never, I don't understand that. They should have done a better job of explaining that because there's this great scene where the teacher gets up in Leroy's face and she wants him to read. He runs out of the room and he just starts breaking stuff. Yeah, he just throws this humongous, unnecessary tantrum and just breaks a bunch of stuff. But is never, um, is never held accountable for it. In a lot of ways, he's very, very self-involved. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically about when he finds out that that same teacher is married and her husband is very sick. Yes. Leroy chooses that time to confront the teacher about his failing her class. And this is where I would agree with you that I would side more with the teacher because... Number one, um, he hasn't shown any interest in her class, uh, any interest in getting a good grade or working hard or showing that he can amount to something in her class. Um, and But then I go, so here's something that the only thing I would really side with him on is the part where he said, and I, I know you missed it, but he said, I haven't gone home for a long time, which... Which, Implication is that he's homeless. Yes, he's homeless. And remember that scene when um, he was trying to read something like "Welcome to the Wonderful World of what I forgot what it was," and he was Maytag struggling. Maytag, repair, I think. washing machines. Yes. Yes. And he ha- he was struggling to read it, but she didn't. She didn't know that he really couldn't read. He she thought that he was capable of reading. And that was the only thing that I would side with him on as far as, well, um, he felt that she did not get to know him. But I didn't think that she thought he was capable of reading. She knew from from the second day that he could not read. Okay. Because she asked him about books and what are you reading? And then she handed him a book and he ran out of the classroom. Oh, that's what started the bit. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't know. I thought he was going to read the book. I love and hate the scene where he confronts her. I think it's such a showcase of arrogance on the kid's part. It is, yeah. And by the same token, I didn't do that in high school, Mm -hmm. but I could totally see myself doing something like that when I was Leroy's age. Yeah, but but the idea that he, but the fact that he picked that time when he's, She's grieving because she doesn't know if her husband's going to make it. He's being an, an asshole at that point. Yes, and after that, I'm just like, you know what? Why didn't and and my my question would be, why wasn't he kicked out in the first year? Why did it have to be four years and then now it's like I should have kicked him out? You know, mm-hmm. because he kept she kept saying, "You're going to skate your way out of the school if you keep on doing what you're doing," and and why? Well, it's. 
it's kind of poetic because there's one scene where Leroy is actually skating around the school. <laughs> yes. Skating around the school. But, and, and I think that's, that's, if I could say that's a, that's a flaw in the movie. Could I say that? Yes, your opinion. I think it is. I think he should have been kicked out way, you know, long before having that conversation with the teacher. They should have told him to leave when he starts breaking stuff. Absolutely, they should have kicked him out. But uh, he, they should have picked him up by his ears and thrown him, thrown him out on his rear. Right. That's what I think. A couple more things that I like about this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where some of them are at a diner. Oh, or, yes. Earlier in this film... An older student leaves to pursue his acting career. His name is Michael. And Michael is now the waiter at the diner. <laughs> I got something to say about that. Tell me. And I know I told you this earlier. I had an experience where... Uh, Don't give names. I will, I will not give names. I had an experience where um, I had a teacher. She happened to be my fifth grade teacher. And um, I wasn't doing well in her class. And, in fact, I didn't think she was a great teacher. Well, that has passed. I went on to sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. At this time, I was in eighth grade. And I was in Maui. um, And I was going through a band camp for um, this band festival that I was participating in, which I was so, so, so proud of. And I am... I finish practice. I'm with my host family. We uh, leave a game that I think um, their daughter was in. Either her or her friend were in this game. I, I, I forgot what it was. I think it was like volleyball or something. I forgot what it was. And we go to a pizza hut and guess who's one of the waitresses? Your old teacher. Yes. Of all the things she could be. <laughs> She's the waitress at Pizza Hut. I just had to laugh inside. I was just like, I can't believe it. And I told my mom, and she's like, really? I said, yeah, yeah, she works at Pizza Hut. <clears throat> and it just reminded me of that, but I digress. Okay. A question I have for you about the scene. <coughs> yes. What do you think Michael says about the reality of making it as an artist? Well, I can only speculate because... It doesn't really show, you know, what he's thinking, right? You know, but what do you think it says about the reality of making it as an artist? Not what he thinks. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That being in the arts, doesn't matter what kind of art it is, in the fine arts especially, it's a very competitive industry. And, uh, you know... In more ways than when it's very, very competitive. You have to, it's almost like you have to be the best of the best, but even if you are the best of the best, you can be just as much rejected as somebody who is the worst. And, and you have to keep that in mind. So people who audition for orchestras, for example, they could be extremely good, but that doesn't make, that doesn't mean that they're going to make it. And there's, You could make it one year and not the other. So I've known many, many, many artists from many fields over the years. Mm -hmm. I've had friends who will have a few good years in a row. And then they'll go like a year without working at all. 
Mm. It's just the reality. Right. Right. And you have to be able to persevere in those dark times. Right. A lot of making it is just staying in the game Mm -hmm. for as long as you can Mm -hmm. before the game eventually rejects you. Or, Or that door completely closes and you have to either pursue something in the same field that is related to it or a totally different occupation. Yeah, I do think that it would be hard to just be a regular person, having lived the artistic life. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Because artists can get away with stuff that regular people can't. Mm. You can't talk at a job the way an artist can on stage. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that must have been a big come down for Michael. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, though, because he just... He did. He seemed kind of nonchalant about the whole thing. Yes. I don't know if that's the right assessment, but he just seemed like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is what I'm doing now, and I'm okay with it. I kind of felt like he was putting on a, a good face. It, it, you might be right, yes. You might be right. Notice how quick they were to get the first thing that he suggested on the menu uh-huh. because they wanted to make it less awkward for him. That's yeah. the feeling I got. Oh, well, I didn't even notice that, actually. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. But I, didn't, I was wondering what the other people thought, like how, what Ralph thought, like um, he, when he was like, hey, uh, you, wanna, you guys want to get some, you know, um, you know they're, they're eating at the cafe, they're at the diner, and, um, you know, you hear them say, yeah, that's great, that's, that's great, yeah, we'll get some clams, you know. I wonder how they felt. They felt sorry for him. You think so? Because he thought that he was going to go away and, for lack of a better verbiage, become an entertainment god. Mm. And the next time they see him, he's below them. He's serving them. Right. Huh. I, I guess I didn't notice it, but it, it seemed like kind of an awkward scene. Though. I think they felt sorry for him. He was trying to put on a good face, but he knew that... That was... He was completely humiliated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being a waiter, but it feels strange when you think you're going to be this huge star, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're serving people who were behind you in school. Right. Or it could be completely backwards where you don't think you're going to make it. But in Michael's case, he thought he was going to make it. No, I, I know that, but I'm, I'm just talking in, in um, you know, if it was flipped around. Yes. Because there were people that didn't think they were going to make it at all. And all they, all they had to offer was their waiting abilities in restaurants, but somehow they're noticed. Um, I don't know. I guess that it has happened. It, it's happened before. I mean, stranger things have happened, but you know what I mean. Okay. Alana. Yes. There was some stuff involving a little girl in this film. Oh, my goodness. That was so disturbing. Do we want to go there or not? Um, I think it's, I think it should be addressed because it was one of the heavier things that I was very disturbed about. And another thing that I was absurd, uh, uh, disturbed about, well, I think we should talk about that. Go ahead. Um, so you don't really hear much about Ralph Garcia's family until later. And he goes home and uh, he hugs and kisses a little girl, and that's his, that's his little sister. She's about five years old. And um, he, it, it, 
it seems like um, he has kind of taken on a role of, um, you know, taking care of her because he's much older than her. And so in the midst of all that, there's a scene where, uh, let me get this right. She's le- she is leaving the apartment by herself. I don't know why she does this. But she tells her brother that she's going. Right? That she's leaving. Correct? She says it, but I don't know if he was actually paying attention when she was doing it. Right. And she leaves by herself. And there's no... I don't know why she does that, but... I wanted to say one I, quick thing about that. What? This was also presumably shot in 1979. Yeah. And people were a lot more loose about letting their kids hang out by themselves and do stuff. Right. That doesn't make it right, but I'm, I just wanted to provide that piece of information. Okay. And it didn't seem like he was paying attention. Um, I don't know what he was doing at the time. Was he like, like in front of a TV or something? I think he was hanging with his friends, but keep going. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward, they're at a church. They're at a, a I believe it's a Catholic church. And uh, I want you to explain the scene here. He goes in. He's talking to somebody. It comes out that his sister was raped. And they're doing this ceremony. He grabs the sister in his arms and says, you should be doing more to the priest. And he really goes off. Next thing we see, he's talking about his childhood with his friends. And is explaining that he's had father figures come in and out of his life. Mm-hmm. He's always tried to make his young sister laugh. Yeah. Which upset his dad. Right. And, and he and, and his dad ended up um, hurting his sister. And beating him. And Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he said, well, I could take it, but it wasn't me. It wasn't my head. It was her head. Yes. Yeah. Because he he was trying to hit Garcy. Right. And missed. And hit the sister. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't. And he said, you know, if it was me, I would have taken it. But it was, you know, it was her. And and he felt so bad because he wasn't there to save her. He wasn't there to take her out of that. He wasn't there to, to, um. He wasn't there to confront the people that did that, or people or person who did that to her. So the first violation was the safety that her dad was supposed to provide. Mm-hmm. The second violation was her being raped. Right. Right. And Michael uh, was it? Michael? No, 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 no. No, that was um, Ralph. Ralph. I'm sorry. No, no. Michael is the got, got waiter. You, got you. Yeah. Ralph was unable to stop either violation. Yeah, and he just felt at that time you you could see that he has become completely vulnerable and he just breaks down and just cries. And that was a heartbreaking scene. It was really, really heart-wrenching to see that. Yes. Because before then he just seemed, he just had this tough tough, uh, bravado. But deep down inside he really loves his sister and he wanted to protect her and he just didn't protect her. He was a sensitive person. The sensitive person, yeah. Who was hiding that because he thought that the world would judge him. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, Right. 
On a lighter note, we got to see Richard Belzer in this film. Yeah, right. <laughs> the comedy part. That was good. Um, I, I will um, say this when, um, in uh, conclusion to the Ralph Garcy story, uh, and, and, and until we get to the other characters. But there was a scene where Ralph and, and Doris were having this huge fight. He wants to make it in the comedy world, but she feels like he's changed. She's been changed by that after, after that he was performing in front of his friends because he looked really, really great in front of his friends. And he was more concerned about the success, his success, right? And not so much about their relationship. Not so much about relationships, I guess, if that makes any sense. Is that, am I correct? What I think I hear you saying, the first time he did comedy, all of his friends were there. Yep. So that helped him do fairly well. Yes. He was invited back to the club. Mm-hmm. Because Freddie Prince had early success. Yep. Ralph assumes that pretty soon he's going to be a big star. And he gets more obsessed with becoming a celebrity right. comic. Yes. Than doing the work and being in a relationship with his girl. Right. And so he completely bombs when he comes back because none of his friends are there. And... <laughs> <laughs> Remember that scene? Was like, hey, I got a standing ovation already. That's great, but it's really his girlfriend leaving. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he completely bombs, and it's it's painful to see. But he completely bombs at night. Yeah. I don't think we should give this entire thing away, but before we leave the discussion of fame. There was a scene near the end oh with Coco. Oh my goodness, that was so disturbing. That we both had thoughts about. I'll let you express yourself. Though. So Coco, to me, has come off as a strong woman. You know, she wants to make a living with making really good music. She um, collaborates with Bruno, and they're working together, and they're making records and things, and the cab driver's saying, oh, it's beautiful, you know, and and she's a great performer, um, and she comes off as somebody that doesn't, you know, take any lip from, especially women. Now, she meets up with this supposed talent scout named, uh, Francois Lafitte. And already I'm thinking he seems really, really creepy. And I don't know if you got that. I thought he said that he was a director. I'm sorry, a director. I'm not a talent scout. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Director. Yes. Thank you for correcting um, That's what I'm here for. Yes. Got plenty of work. Keep going. Right. So, um, he, I mean, in the beginning, he comes off as this really creepy director. I don't know if you came, I don't know if it came across to you that when way. When his first scene was done, I'm like, oh, he's going to take advantage of her. And I think I told you that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, not only is he commenting on, you know, her face, but her figure, Right. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this doesn't sound good. doesn't sound good at all. Um, he already, he doesn't say, he doesn't really talk much about her work, per se, like what she actually does. He talks more about, oh, you got the look for, you know, what I'm looking for in my movie. Also, he's playing a French director, and he doesn't even have a French accent. 
No. He is an American actor. He speaks French, or he pretends to speak French. He pretends to speak it, but I didn't get the sense that it was well. Now, granted, I'm no expert on the French language, but it didn't sound authentic to me. He's pretty... Sl- yeah, it, it was not authentic. He seemed pretty pretentious. So anyway, um, she walks up the steps, and I don't know what the apartment building looks like. It um, Does it look like a... a a, a director's office, or is no, it's just, just a regular apartment. Which, which already seems very, very, very um, shady and sleazy. So she goes up there, and he's looking at her, and she, you know, he's like, "Oh, I like what I see." Blah 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, he goes, you know, he's trying to get her to pose, and then all of a sudden, he goes, "Can you take your top off?" And she's like. Are you kidding? You know? And there's no script to this movie. There is no script, right. But she does it anyway. And... And starts crying. And she starts to cry. And he's filming her, and he's telling her to smile, and she's crying. It doesn't seem to phase him. And my thought is, okay, after he after she asks the question, because it seems to me like she's really uncomfortable... Why then would she go and take off her top and start crying when she knows it's going to happen? And here's another observation that I that I told you earlier. You know, why is it that she seems more she seems strong against she seems strong around women, but this one guy, Francois Lafitte, now she's she's powerless over. Partially, it's because She's dealing with people around her own age. Mm. And Francois is a little bit older. Yes, I think, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She might see him as more mature than she is. Right. But to me, that doesn't explain why why she agreed to take her top off and not even have a script in her hands. Exactly. Because if I was going to meet with a director... I would want to know what's a part of the script. I would want to see the script. I would want to see what I would be auditioning for. And the fact that he never gave her a script and didn't tell her what she was, what kind of movie this was going to be, uh, I would, I would have some questions about that. If there's a fault that this movie has, I think it tries to say too many things without enough time. Mm-hmm. Because. Had this been two movies, you could have played with this idea more. Or if this film was just about Coco and the guy that she was making music with, you could have really expanded on this part of the story. Uh But because it focuses on so many different characters, the film is two hours and like 13 minutes. It's a long movie. Yeah. You can't really go into it as much. And it hurts. It hurts the film overall. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have found out more about um, the storyline with Ralph Garcia's sister, just because it kind of... It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just a really, really disturbing storyline, and it doesn't go anywhere. Like, does she ever get help? Um, does does Ralph Garcia come to grips, comes to grip, come to grips with the the fact that he wasn't there for her in both parts of her life um you know does coco was coco violated it was implied that it's possible she was and 
it's possible that the film that was being made was of an ad- adult nature, and you there never, was no film being made. I'm, I, you know what I mean. It, well, okay, maybe I should rephrase that. It's it's implied that it's possible that she was violated, and then there was no film that was going to be made, and you never know what happens to her after that. There's too many questions mm-hmm. without answers in this movie. Yeah. If I were to meet Irene Kara in person, which most likely that would never happen, but if I ever did, I would want to ask her, was her that scene open to interpretation? It also could have been that Alan Parker, the director, shot footage that didn't make it to the final cut, mm. which would have explained things a little bit deeper. Yeah, and now movies have deleted scenes that you can watch. Um and and being that that movie was made probably in the late seventies, seventy nine. Seventy nine. They shot it. Yeah, they didn't have the technology to do that. They didn't have. They didn't make deleted scenes back then. They made. They cut scenes from movies. Or they cut scenes from movies, but you weren't. You wouldn't. You were not able to see them. Right. Is what I mean. There are some exceptions, but I I hear what you're saying, babes. Yeah. Overall, though, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. As heavy as it was, it was it was good. I enjoyed it. Yes. Before we get to Better Off Dead, mm-hmm. yesterday was an anniversary that we did not discuss. No. And uh, I'll say this, I don't celebrate, like, I don't make a point of celebrating it, even though it's worth celebrating. Tell us what it is. Um, yesterday, 12 years ago, yesterday, that was the day that of my um, cancer diagnosis. And the reason why I feel that it is worth celebrating and talking about is because um, yeah, 12 years ago, I did not know how I was going to, if I was even going to make it or if I was going to come out of it alive and have um, long-lasting physical things because of it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's been it's been twelve years, and it seems like it it was only yesterday, but it was really twelve years ago, which I find it very. Um, I I I find it I I every time I think about this anniversary, I think um, what a victory it is to have survived it for twelve years. So you felt good yesterday. I did. Yes, I did. I think of it as a victory day. I don't think of it as like, oh, wow. I mean, you know, I just think about how far I've come after 12 years. That's awesome, babe. Yeah. Yes. It's victorious. I think that requires a kiss. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. J-Lo. Yes. I decided to show you a film called Better Off Dead. Which is much, much lighter and a lot more funnier. (laughs) I want my $2. But before you give me that. I don't have $2. I'm sorry. I don't have any, I don't have any dollars on me. Oh, $2. (laughs) Tell me about this movie, babes. It was so funny. It was hilarious. I really liked it. Um, I'm not too familiar with John Cusack stuff, but I'm a little bit familiar with his sister, Joan Cusack stuff. 
a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. But I, I mean, there are so many funny things in the movie. John Cusack plays Lane Meyer. His mother is a horrible, horrible cook. He should not be, she should not be cooking anything. She boils bacon. Uh, she opens the boxes of cereal from both ends. No, she cuts no, no. out the coupons. Oh, she the cuts side out the coop the so coupons. So whenever anybody goes to get cereal, it just spills all over the place. <laughs> Terrible. She makes this like slop with like raisins in it. That starts moving away from Lane. Ew. So it looks like it may have been alive. Yes. Ew. <laughs> so gross. And um, at one point, she's cooking this thing that has legs. It's some sort of squid thing that's still alive. Ew. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then um, and then uh, the the was it the neighbor Ricky the Smith? The oh, sm- let's talk about the Smith. Okay. So so do you want to start from the be- or just talk about random parts so people are encouraged to see it? Okay, I'll, I'll talk from the beginning. So the beginning starts off with um, Lane Meyer is in the shower. He. Took in a picture of his girlfriend, Beth. At the time, that was his girlfriend. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we are finding more things about Miss Beth. But um, she, you know, he's, like, completely in love with this girl. And they've only been together for six months. But they're in high school. But they're, they're in high school. I mean, I guess six months seems like uh, eternity for high school students. Um, and he is, like, really into skiing. And uh, he wants to ski this thing called uh, the K-12, right? Yes. It's this mountain, I believe. Or this competition. Is it a competition? It's it a is. mountain. Mountain, yeah. And he is up against this guy named Roy Stalin, which is a weird name. Of all names, his last name is Stalin, right? Isn't that interesting? Um, and, the re- and one of the reasons why is because Roy um, steals his girl Beth from him. Actually, Beth, Beth leaves him for Roy. Am I correct? You are correct. Yes. And he's already, and she's already uh, got it in her mind that she wants to leave him because Lane isn't the popular kid. <clears throat> Meanwhile, you go to the, um, the Smith family, which uh, is comprised of Mrs. Smith and, his, and her overweight son, Ricky Smith, who's very, very strange. And they have this um, French student, um, Monique. <laughs> who pretends not to speak any who, English. Who, who pretends not to speak any English, and she's great. She's a great character. Well, she goes over, she, she meets um, Lane and his family. And I thought the, 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 this is such a corny scene where uh, Je- uh, his, his mom, Jenny, I think her name is, says, oh, we have some French stuff here. We've got French French fries, French French dressing. French baguettes, was it? Or French bread? French bread, yes. Yes. And he doesn't even know how to say France bread. (laughs) France, yes. (laughs) She doesn't know how to speak in French. No, and typical American, she doesn't know that French fries come from our country. Yeah, they're not really French. No. And French dressing isn't really French. That's correct. But keep going. But you have to kind of laugh at it. I think it's just so funny about the the ignorance of this woman. Yes. (laughs) Now, meanwhile, Ricky's mother is a nut job. She thinks that Ricky is going to get together. 
With Monique. With Monique. Yes. And she's treating Monique as if Monique doesn't, does not understand anything. In fact, she grabs her, it's like around Christmas time, yep. and she's like, do you celebrate Christmas in France? And she's like, Christmas. Sorry, as I'm she's her, grabbing her cheeks. As she's grabbing her like cheeks. Like Alana's doing to Christmas. Right and I just thought, oh, man, this, this lady is so ignorant. And she's just, it, she's so ignorant, it is even funny. She's just a crazy lady. And, um, you know. <laughs> I don't know how much of this movie we want to give away. I don't want to give too much away, but why don't you explain the relationship between Lane and Monique? Because Lane treats her like a human being. But go on. And that's what helps. Yes. Because he does that, she reveals that she can speak English. And she helps repair his car. She helps give him some confidence in his life. She likes baseball. Yes. We don't want to give too much away, but yeah. it's really cool to watch their relationship develop. And you can probably guess that they end up together at the end. Yes, and, and proving that the underdog got the girl. Yes. And I love those kinds of movies. Yes. I also thought it was funny that Ricky gets to be with a girl at the end, but his mom is kind of left on the mountain. <laughs> now we got to talk about the kid. The paper boy. Yeah, the paper boy. I want my two dollars. Because he comes and and the two dollars thing starts with him coming to um, Lane's house. Lane's house and saying, "You owe me two dollars." What did you think of him, babe? Oh, he was so funny. I know. He just appears out of nowhere. He's like, "I want my two dollars." He's on the roof of his car. I want my two dollars. Then they go through the uh, <laughs> car wash. He's like, "I can't swim." I ah. can't swim. Ah. <laughs> I want my two dollars. And then while uh, Lane is in the um, um, skiing K twelve, guess who comes? Guess who in, comes on his bike? He's the paper boy. And then um, he pushes him off the mountain on his bike. He lands. Where does he land? He lands somewhere. He lands somewhere. And he goes. Oh, two dollars. <laughs> and he gets him. He goes. I want my two dollars. And after that, after that whole thing happens. Doesn't he um, see um, Lane and Monique towards the end? And he goes, I want my $2. We've given away a lot, but at the end, Lane and Monique are in this baseball field, the stadium. Yes. And you see a bike going towards them (laughs) as the movie closes out. We are left to assume that it's the paper boy. Oh, he's so funny. He's great. He's he's a side character, but he's really funny because all he wants is his $2. Yes. And this movie has a cameo by Barney Rubble. Yes, yes, yes. That was great. Hi, Elaine. I understand that you're blah, 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 blah. And he's watching the Flintstones. Yes. That was so funny. But that's not the real Barney Rubble. No, you can tell it was a different voice. (laughs) That's great. So do you see him on the screen talking to him? Yes, you do. (laughs) It was very cute. It's a fun scene. Great movie. I, I really enjoy this film. I thought it was very cute. Um, I thought that it was great that the underdog got the girl. And there's just so many funny things. Like, <laughs> his best friend was laughing. Remember, he was laughing and he was... Um, Stalin comes up and makes was, a remark about John Cusack and his friend. And his friend just starts laughing about it. And it's at this dance <laughs> yes. to celebrate the new year. His friend would just not stop laughing about his comment. <laughs> and then he looks at Lane and whoever it is, and he just starts laughing. It's great. It's great. 
<laughs> the girl who played Monique was just great in the movie. Yeah, awesome casting in this film. I don't know what her name is, but she's really good. Yes. The mom, the, uh, Ricky's mom was good. Ricky's even though she was, great. She was crazy. And, and so was Elaine's mom, and they're just both crazy ladies. Yes. You don't see Ricky's dad because he died. I oh, believe. is that what happened? Yeah, I remember something he mentions about oh, his dead yeah, pappy. that's right, that's right. His dead pappy liked whatever it was. Yes. So overall, you would recommend this movie? I would. I thought it was very funny. I think it's like a, a PG rating. Is that right? I would say that. Either PG or PG. Maybe PG-13. PG-13, maybe. I don't know. It was, it was really funny. Oddly enough, I heard about this film when I was living in Colorado <clears throat> mm-hmm. from the same friend who recommended Pump Up the Volume. Really? Which we're going to watch tonight. Okay. Yes. We're also going to watch a movie that is a romantic movie. I think there may be some funny things to it, but it's a romantic movie. A J-Lo to remember. It's not called that. Could you please not call that? Okay. Could you please not call it that, please? Sorry, A Walk to Remember. A Walk to Remember. It's based on the book A Walk to Remember by Nicholas Sparks, and I heard that he wrote some good books. Yes. Which I had not read yet. Yes. Mandy Moore, isn't it? Yes. Have I talked about my theory on Ryan Adams? Oh, that not just that she married him? Well, she married him, but I can't remember if I've told you this here, but we've talked about it outside of this, is that I think that the reason Ryan Adams is popular is because hipsters love correcting people, <laughs> and there's already a famous musician from Canada named Brian Adams. So they get to say, I listen to a lot of Ryan Adams, and people can say, well, do you mean Brian Adams? To which they can respond, no, I mean Ryan Adams. And I think that's why Ryan Adams has become popular. And one day, he might even become so successful that hipsters start listening to Brian Adams just so they can have people correct them and say, do you mean Ryan Adams? No, I mean Brian Adams. <laughs> um, is, is Ryan Adams from Canada? I believe so. I could be wrong with that. I don't I don't. Yeah, I think someone actually told me something about Ryan Adams, and I'm like, don't you mean Brian Adams? And See, I think they're like Ryan Adams. Hipsters are making this guy popular because they get to correct people. You think that, that he is popular amongst the hipster community or whatever it is? Because his name is Ryan Adams, yes. Do you know a hipster who likes Ryan Adams? I'm not going to say any names. Oh, uh, okay. Actually, but I know a couple. Actually, I think I know one of them, or at least I've met one of them. Yes. Well, no, Ryan Adams. No, 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 no. I don't listen to Brian Adams. I'm listening to Ryan Adams. I have not had any desire to listen to his music, but maybe I, I should try it. I don't know. It's probably halfway decent. Maybe it's okay, but I like Brian Adams. I too. honestly, having not heard his music, if his name was, you know, Tom Adams, I don't think he'd be half as popular. Or Gomez Adams. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. da 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 but we had a good night of movie watching, babes. We did. Yes. We did. I wasn't expecting fame to be that long. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it, they were both very good movies. And I'm excited to, to show you the movie that I wanted to show you. I'm really interested to see what you think of Pump Up the Volume. But we'll find out tonight. Okay. Yes. Um, there is another romantic movie I wanted to show you later on called The Notebook. It's very good. Oh. Yes. Yes. We will see that at another time, I think. Yes, we will. Yes. Did you uh, 
have anything you wanted to discuss? I mean, I know we got an, a Walmart order this morning. It went very well. It went very, very smoothly. I was... T- <laughs> I, I I had a hard time describing to the person outside what was... Because obviously I can't see the entrance of my building. I have no idea what color it is. I just assumed he's outside. He can figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> but it went really well. I got everything that I asked that I um, asked um, in my list. And I am excited to um, make what we are going to make tonight. It's simple. It's grilled cheese sandwiches, but it'll be a lot of fun. Is it or is it the casserole? Oh, we could do the casserole tonight. You're right. Let's do that tonight. Okay. I was thinking grilled cheese sandwiches. We can, we can uh, do that tomorrow. Klondike yes. makes these really, really good fudge swirl things. They're, they're ice cream bars, yes. That I tried earlier this week, and Alana has not had the pleasure of having them. Wait, are they more like sandwiches, you said? They're kind of like, they're their own thing. Okay, I do like Klondike bars anyway. Okay. But um, are they kind of, do they kind of remind you of ice cream sandwiches, in your opinion? Similar. Okay. And I love ice cream sandwiches, too. I am so excited <clears throat> to show you these after experiencing them for myself earlier this week. Yes. 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 So, um, yeah, so we are going to have a good night of movies and also a good meal. Did you have anything else you wanted to discuss, Shayla? No, I don't. I think what we should do... Yes. We should end this, maybe get a snack... Yes. Make out a little bit... Yeah. And then watch some Deep Space Nine. Yeah. All right. We're going to get a snack, make out, watch some Star Trek... Every nerd's uh, fantasy. <laughs> then get into some movies and enjoy yeah. our, our day. That's right. But let's let's give a preview of our makeout session now. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, stop. Stop. Okay. Right. Stop it. That's really distracting. All right. You guys, he can distract me Uh-oh. a lot. Yes. And that was just distra- this just very much distracting. I agree with that, babe. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Rest in peace to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Happy Saturday, everybody. Happy Saturday. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.